0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, a podcast hosted by me, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps online course creator, consultant, and a Docker captain. This podcast contains clips from my weekly YouTube live show, where I host a real-time ask-me-anything style chat with guests and anyone who shows up on YouTube chat, many of whom are students of my Docker courses. You can find out more information, including show notes for this episode at brettfisher.com slash podcast. That's B R E T. F I S H E R.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I talk with Chris Hickman about using containers since the early days at Docker, using AWS ECS as your container orchestrator, and more. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a platform I've used and recommend for end to end monitoring that makes it easy to detect, diagnose, and resolve issues before they impact your users. With Datadog, you can easily monitor your containers and the apps inside them in real time and receive alerts on anything you want to measure. Start your trial today and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dtdg.co slash b-r-e-t. That's dtdg.co slash b-r-e-t. And you can get started in that t-shirt with that link or just grab it from the show notes. Thanks for being a sponsor, Datadog. Now on with the show. Hello, Chris. How are you
1: doing? Hi! Great, great to be great to be here, Brett.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. We met at DockerCon actually this year in San Francisco and talked about all sorts of stuff, you know, for quite some time in the hallway, which is the best part of conferences is to meet people in the community and chit chat. So let me tell you all the audience uh, a little bit about Chris. He is the VP of Technology at Kelsys, and he's an entrepreneur, technical leader, and accomplished developer. He's founded two companies, one with twenty-four million in VC. Very nice. The other bootstrapped with an SBA loan. Very cool as well. Uh, for those of you not in the United States, that's a small business administration, right? That's small business loans. And now he's at Kelsus leading the teams building world-class software in the cloud using AWS, Docker, and the latest most productive technology stacks. He's in Seattle, which is the ground zero of the cloud back in the day with AWS. And Chris enjoys spending, spends time with his family, uh, cycling and endlessly throwing a tennis ball to his black Labrador, Gus. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. So, Thanks, we, Yeah, we were talking uh, before the show. In fact, we were talking at DockerCon um, about orchestrators and containers. and uh, So I thought we're going to talk about a lot of things today. So if you're watching the show live, definitely get your questions in sat, chat. You'll see people like Doc uh, Biker in there, sorry, Biker and other people asking questions. Those are people that are around all the time. So get your Docker and DevOps questions in. We're going to be talking about AWS, we'll probably talk about some security topics. But uh, later on in the show, if you're able to hang around, we're going to answer the questions that are in the queue. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to get through all of them, uh, and you'll get your question answered. And if you have to go back to work, or if it's just late in the evening for you, you can always come back to this channel later and watch it uh, recorded later on. So if you get your question in, basically, we'll answer it. You can come back later and see the answer. Uh, No pressure, Chris, but you're going to have some questions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bring it! Bring it on!
0: <laughs> so, so uh, other than wearing some really cool Docker swag from DockerCon, what have you been uh, doing this year uh, in the cloud? I know you've been working a little bit in AWS.
1: Yeah, so um, definitely, all um, very much involved with AWS. Just about everything that we build um, that is the preferred cloud provider for for Calcus and what we're doing. Um, just be, and one of the reasons, just being there. The, all these cloud providers are advancing so quickly the technology is changing so rapidly um, they're just have thousands of people working on these new um, capabilities and services and trying to keep up with one let alone three or four public clouds is yeah. it's it's kind of impossible right so, um, right now, I mean, no one's going to get fired for choosing AWS, um, right? It's not, it's not going anywhere. It's um, the IBM of the
0: cloud, right? <laughs> Nobody for, for,
1: as of today, yeah, for sure, right? So, um, so yeah, that's that's um, kind of our um, our go to preferred cloud provider, um, and um, I've I've been using AWS in production I think since 2012. Um, so it's been it's been interesting just to see it evolve over the years um, and. Um, especially with um, containers taking off, so I've been running containers in the cloud since 2016, um, and just kind of amazing there too, seeing like the ecosystem grow up um, with it, um, the maturity. Um, it was so much harder to run Docker containers in prod back in 2016 yeah. than it is now, right? So, um, lots of lots of really great, amazing technology, um, and um, uh, just a lot, a lot easier to build um, complicated distributed systems in the cloud now.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course that's relative, right? Because those of us that have been around since 2016, we know the hard ways, so now we look at this and we're like, this is easy. <laughs> but if you're no. new, it's like, this is not easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell me, I mean, so, you know, you kind of mentioned in the intro, it's like, okay, I past experience of creating two companies, one with VC money and one with the SBA loan. So, you know, that, that SBA loan company, um, That was back in 2001, um, 2003, in that time frame, and there was no cloud, right? And so I had to go and get a loan from Dell for leasing $20,000 in servers, right? I had to go sign a lease with a co-location facility. Um, I had to load up all those servers into my car. I had to go down to this co-location facility in downtown Seattle. I had to rack them myself, cable them up. Yeah. Right, I mean, it was it was thirty thousand dollars before I could even have Hello World.
0: Right, you, you to need a website. You had to spend uh, possibly months, right? Because you got to wait for the hardware right. to be Absolutely. manufactured
1: months. together. Yes, yeah. Uh,
0: did you get? A, I remember the you know you back in the day you had to choose between a half rack and a quarter rack or yes. a shared rack or a full rack, <laughs> and the prices. It was like basically it was like renting an apartment. <laughs> yeah,
1: you had to commit now, to it,
0: certain years and
1: and And that's what you were doing, right? you were it was it was a, it was basically they were giving you a secure facility that was providing power and network and um, cooling. And you were just rent leasing space, and they were literally charging you by the the volume that you were taking up. So I, yeah. I took down a half rack um, and was very cognizant of that, right? Because half rack is half the cost of a full rack. Yeah. so you get one new machines, um, try to get things as efficiently in there as you can. Um, and and run it with it, and that, that was still like seven hundred and twenty bucks a month just for the lease, just just, just for have that space, space right? <laughs> it's like what could you do with seven twenty a month right now, like on an yeah. AWS bill? I mean,
0: you could you, you could know. run a little empire. You could run yeah you could run a social media startup. You could, <laughs> you could have a dozen apps in the app store all running with that backend. Yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's pretty yeah. crazy. Uh, the, uh, I I had experience with managing some racks in an old AOL data center that once they started shrinking uh basically entire northern virginia facilities were turned into these co-location spaces so yeah it was the, the double man trap and getting lost in the hallways because every floor looked the same and they had to have arrows in the wall so you knew where you were in the building yeah. and yeah it's just yeah. massive they're massive places yeah so yeah. so that's so that's luckily the no longer the case uh but i'm not sure that we we have we have basically replaced that labor with new stuff, right? Like it's uh, it's now we got to learn about orchestration and high availability, and everybody expects hundred percent uptime and, and all that stuff. So, what are some of the stuff that that you're working on specifically in AWS?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, so containers and dot, every just about every piece of software we deploy is containerized. Um, we have a little bit of, of serverless that we're we're using where it makes sense, but for the most part, um, everything is is containerized. It's run on ECS. Um, so we we then which is Amazon's um, version of orchestration for Docker containers. So I mean, everyone very familiar probably with Kubernetes and Swarm um, as two of the the primary orchestration um, systems. But uh, Amazon has their own called ECS, um, and we use that. Um, it's it's a it's very mature, robust. Um, because we're all in at amazon using the amazon version of an orchestrator makes a lot of sense there's just really tight integration with the rest of amazon services
0: yeah so did you do that actual evaluation where you were looking at different orchestrators and you just knew what you wanted or was it more like we're just going to use whatever aws has which both are valid reasons right but right
1: yeah i mean so Again, I mean, I've been uh, been running containers in Amazon since 2016. At that point, Kubernetes was not there really, right? Pre 1.0, yeah, yeah. So um, there really wasn't any other option um, other than ECS. Or actually, at that point, ECS was rather new. Um, Most people were running Docker containers manually. Yeah. right? Like installing Docker on a VM in the cloud and then managing start stop of containers. I mean, just really crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, so ECS was really the only option at that point. Um, and then, you know, as you just continue working with it, it gets uh, um, just the, the built up knowledge. Um, so when Kubernetes comes out, it's like there's not really a compelling reason to switch Right. Um, you know, at that point. Um, so definitely aware of Swarm and Kubernetes, looking at, like, what, what capabilities they have. Um, but with us not really being in a hybrid environment, um, there's not a, a big compelling reason to go with something like Kubernetes.
0: Right. Certainly not from a business perspective, right? If you're looking at business value, it's hard to justify uh, switching from one orchestrator to another no matter which mm-hmm. one you use. I think it's, um, it's just like any... Any layer of the stack, right? That we implement, uh, you you know, unless it's truly plug and play, which it's very rare to see anything like that, where you can really just easily swap yeah. one out for the other. You've got to retrain people. You've got you know, it's there's a lot of you got to test. Obviously, there's a trust factor there where you've got to use it over time before you really start to trust it. And I think that uh, you know, that's one of the things that one of the reasons why we all end up with what we consider at some point legacy is it because it always worked. <laughs> Yeah. And then at some point we hear from someone else that it's, that's no longer the cool new thing, but it still works. And if we were constantly replacing everything with new things, we wouldn't be able to get any work done. So, um, and, I, and I don't even think the ECS is old. Like it's not. It just was. It was kind of there first. I think there was Swarm Classic, right? Mm-hmm. We had Swarm Classic, and then we had uh, ECS, which runs on top of Docker as well. So yeah, um, uh, it's still. A, I think it's a very, very legitimate use case
1: yeah yeah and and, i mean and that's i don't know but you've definitely managed quite a few teams over the years and developers for like for certain are like um uh the shiny thing is always really is really interesting right um but i think like you point out it's really important to take a pragmatic approach to it um there's so much stuff that we could chase yeah. Um, you really have to ask it yourself um, and, and do that introspection and say like is this really something I want? I really want to spend the cycles on, the resources on because there's only, you have only so much bandwidth, right, or the resources in, on your team that you can do so you have to really choose wisely there's, I mean think about all the massive shifts we've even had in the last like four or five years with kind of like cloud native becoming a real thing so yeah. you have DevOps is, a, is kind of a whole new methodology. And it requires a lot of, of culture process change and um, different ways of people thinking with, with now having like a CI CD pipeline and what what that entails. And um, you have containerization represented a very big mind shift in developers um, and, and um, operators and, and whatnot. So there's lots of new things to, um, to go chase after. The, the bleeding edge is always there. But you you can't you can't chase everything on the bleeding edge. you'll never get anything done and you're going to get cut and you're going <laughs> right. to get cut right
0: yeah especially if you have a boss right like most of us do and it, you know when you when you try to sell them on the new idea the new thing and uh, and then you do something with it and then it doesn't work right or it fails or it it takes too long or whatever it kind of tends to be on you and it yeah. uh, starts to affect your reputation so uh, a lot of us I think um, especially when we're passionate about technology we want to we like something new, and we want to use it in our company. And a lot of times, you have to sort of put your put yourself on the line to be able to implement that and, and prove that it's worth something. Um, and that's that can sometimes be a scary thing, especially if you're a junior developer, you're not, or you know, you're just getting started in DevOps and you're not used to that level of risk involved. Um, you know, I think sometimes some of us get used to it, <laughs> and the moment there's failures, we're just like, yeah, you roll with the punches. hopefully, hopefully I don't get fired. You know, Um, so yeah, so if you had, I'm just curious, if you had someone knowing a little bit about uh, Swarm and Kubernetes, um, if someone was on the fence, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of students uh, in my courses and, you know, one of the most common questions when we start talking about orchestration is which one to use. Um, That's true of all layers of the stack. I think a long time ago we were talking about, do I use Puppet or Chef, right, or Uh, Ansible Puppet Chef, like people were, you know, every different layer of abstraction. I think we've all had uh, discussions around which tool to use. Um, Are there any things that stick out for you that you really like about ECS? I mean, you've mentioned that it's, you know, it's just there. It's built in uh, AWS, Mm -hmm. so it's streamlined with CloudFormation, and I'm sure all the other tools that you would want to use. But uh, can you think of anything else?
1: So um, it's just it's maturity, right? So it's it's definitely, um, I said it's been since. I think 20, maybe near the end of 2015 is when it when it came out, right? So it's a mature technology. Um, they have lots of um, resources behind it. It's actively in development. Um, it has that tight integration with the other AWS services, which is a huge benefit, right? If you're in AWS, I mean, having that tight integration with things like load balancers, um, with um, Route 53 DNS, um, being able to do things like service discovery, almost like as a just, you can just Check a box now, and now yeah. you can do service discover discovery through Rat fifty three, right? Which is, I mean, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's the, and then also it's just it's a very um, it's a much quicker um, uh, onboarding process I think with ECS. So ECS is pretty quick for I mean you can be just brand new to it. Um, you can spin up a, a an ECS cluster and start running containers on it. Literally within an hour, um, and I don't think you can say that about Kubernetes. Right? Like just starting from scratch, right? Yeah.
0: Like, L- unless you're using a hosted one, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And and even then, uh, you got to know your YAML. Where mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's something to be said. I mean, about sort of like the single single vendor solutions. You know, and I know that AWS. I mean, that's their that's one of their big strengths, right? You go to their conferences; it's a completely overwhelming experience because mm-hmm. there is so much stuff. It uh, it reminds me of. Um, I, you know, I used to go to all the Microsoft tech tech ed conferences, and um, now they're no longer called that. But uh, there would be fifteen thousand developers and IT pros, admins there, and it was almost exclusively Microsoft tools, right? So it was mm-hmm. like you were using this pure stack, one vendor, one phone call way, um, and it it, did, it it didn't mean that every single piece of the, the pie was the best tool, but that tight integration allowed really in our case, uh, cause I was working at a city government, it allowed a very small team that, you know, run 700 servers and 7,000 mm-hmm. desktops. Um, yep. you know, there was less than 20 of us. So it, and I, I can imagine that's this very similar experience to AWS where if you, when you have all those tight integrations of that time savings, you don't have to implement some other DNS solution for service discovery. You don't, you know, you can probably use the same AWS CLI to do all these things. I can imagine. Um, that it's very alluring to or, you know it's, it's it's going to be a lot of gravity there to prevent you from wanting to leave to another tool for sure
1: yeah and, and again I think it, it just comes down to just pragmatism and like just the right tool for the right job and you just have to ask yourself like I want to build a reliable robust distributed system, soft, piece of software right I want it to be up um, I need to be able to to observe it and monitor it, Um, you know, what's the, what's the quickest way there? And like, and I want to make sure I don't want to reinvent the wheel either, right? So like, this is actually an Amazon, they love talking about undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? Like, um, years past, like, um, you know, I, that would be my mantra was like, what's your core competency and everything else you outsource, right? Like, again, we have only so much bandwidth, And there's only so much that we can go chase, right? So whatever it is that differentiates you, like, that's what you devote your resources to. If it's undifferentiating, then you really shouldn't be spending time on that. And it kind of, it's the same thing with, um, I think, which is picking things like in the cloud with AWS, right? Like, if it's something where, like, it's kind of, it's just apples to apples, like, say, Kubernetes versus ECS. Like, is there really, like, can I give a really strong, compelling business reason why, what gains am i gonna get from switching to it versus like it's gonna take weeks and weeks and weeks and um, of effort to do this switch, right? There's right. not a lot of bang for the buck versus there are services that AWS offers that we don't use, right? We use other third-party software for just because it's so much better and there is that business reason. So yeah. like log collection and analysis is one of those, right? CloudWatch logs are not the best. Um, right. They're getting better, but it's still like there's so much better tools out there for that. So we use third third parties for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't used it recently. Uh, the last time I used it was uh, CloudWatch logging was right when they finally made search possible, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and we were already on Datadog and other solutions right. at the time. And uh, uh, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I I. Wasn't really up on the latest, uh, you know, is, is CloudWatch truly a competitor when you start looking at some of these other advanced tools? Of course, you got to pay for those other tools. CloudWatch yep. kind
1: of just comes out of the box. Yep. Yeah, um, they're, they're yeah. I mean, CloudWatch. They, I mean, they, I think they're they're starting to put a little bit more attention to that now. They've come out with CloudWatch Insights, which is um, a, a way of applying a. Um, a semi-structured semi-structured schema to the logs, and so you can start doing these queries that you that you would expect from other services like Logic or Logri right. or Datadog or whatnot. Um, so, but still, those other services. I mean, that's all they do, right? They're hyper-focused in that particular thing, whether it be APM or logging or or um, analytics or whatnot. So, again, it's just what's the what's the right choice for you? Like, is it it's just in that particular case, it's just not sufficient for what right. we want to do. Logs log are super important for us, right? For our software. So.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm a big fan of outsourcing all that. In fact, it's something that uh, I do demos. I think I've done it at DockerCon before where I show like an, a completely open source stack. And then mm-hmm. after I show all the super fancy monitoring and logging open source tools, that's probably at some point like a, a public statement of. Uh, you probably don't want to do that. Like, yeah. outsource that. Uh, you know, even if you're someone who like if you like ELK and you want that, out get it, like Get Log Z or somebody that actually runs it for you. Because yeah. we're so I don't know anybody that has a bunch of free time in their day as a developer or a DevOps person. So, like, you know, you need time back. So, outsource these things that are I consider plumbing. Yeah. Right now, now the infrastructure is plumbing. Right. There's no you're, you don't have to rock, walk into the rack. Anymore and freeze your freeze yourself, uh, be on the cold side. You have to make that choice, yeah. right? Back in the rack yeah. days, where am I going to be on the hot side of this rack or on the cold? Am I going to burn up or am I going to freeze to death? Uh, and I would, I'd always choose to be cold and take a jacket. Cause, yeah, yeah. And uh, so you don't have to choose that anymore. So why not outsource some of that stuff? That's I, you know, so so much plumbing. Uh, I mean, I'm sure this companies would argue that it's, it's it's not plumbing and that they have lots of differentiating features. But at the end of the day, uh, you do need. Logging and monitoring, but maybe just let someone else care about it. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, like, don't pretend like you can do it better than right. than someone like that, right? Like, so it's like just thing with databases. And, and, and again, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of those questions. Like, if you if you have a product or a service that you're delivering, right? Ask yourself like, our customers going to choose you because you have a better logging, like, could, because you implemented logging yourself, right? Like again, that's not a core differentiator. Instead, you know, yeah. focus on your product, what it is that is, is, is really um, your core competency and, and focus on that.
0: Yeah. Do you have any other uh, non-AWS tools that you would recommend, um,
1: you know, yeah, so I mean, for as far as like CI/CD pipeline goes, yeah. I mean, um, AWS has you know they have their whole um, CodeStar um, suite of tools, and um, honestly, I think it's it's kind of still scratching my head on like why they're doing that um, because there's just so much better tools out there. So we yeah. use Circle CI. Um, yeah. Circle CI is, is 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 wonderful. Um, does does it anything and everything that we needed to do, um, and, and that's hosting, can we right? look at the it, it is, it yeah. Sense. I mean, I, I, you you can get it. I think um, uh, self-hosted if you want. Um, okay. They do have that that capability, but yeah, we we just as a service. Um, and we there's some issues there with like what happens when you want to actually do um, uh, uh, like integration auto automate integration test um, where you need to to um, actually call into services that are inside a um, inside Amazon. Um, so there's there's some, but that's really about the only limitation there. Yeah. Um, everything else, I mean, just doing the, the good hygiene stuff, right? Whether it be like linting, running, you know, automate the automated tests that don't require integration environments, um, the, uh, image uh, scanning, other security scanning type things, um, code coverage metrics, static code analysis, um, verifying builds, pushing builds, yeah. publishing builds. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah, just totally. Do make make it automate it, and make it part of your pipeline. So CircleCI works great for us.
0: It's the workhorse of our pipelines, right?
1: <laughs> it is. I it, mean, it, 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 think about how much time it saves, and, and yeah. like, it just it's not only that, it just prevents so many mistakes. It's it's just a it's a really good like um, making sure all the boxes are checked um, and eliminating the human element of like just the fatigue of like, hey, did this happen? Did you did you run this test? Did you did you check for this or that?
0: Yeah, and to think, ten or fifteen years ago, uh, we were paying teams of people to do all that manually, and then you would schedule a, re- a release every six months, every year, and then they would spend six weeks, eight weeks, doing all of the stuff that basically yeah. is done for you in a matter of you know minutes, uh, automated on a daily basis. It's uh, it's it's an amazing transformation. Uh, it's it's caused a lot of people to have to you know rethink their job strategy. But mm-hmm. uh, that's the way of tech, right? Uh, you've got to keep working yourself up the stack and keep keep flexible. I think that's a common trend. Being an educator in the in the industry is, you see a lot of people coming in and they're transitioning out of uh, maybe they're in a, a, a purely operations traditional role and they're trying to get more closer to developers with a DevOps role. Uh, you know, you see a lot of change, and uh, and sometimes I hear people and you know, they're frustrated, and uh, I try to my without sounded like a jerk because <laughs> obviously in a bind i'm and i'm always like well if you if you hit your if you hit yourself to one thing and you do that only one thing for years that is a little scary because if that one thing is no longer important i mean uh think about mainframes i worked at uh several companies that had mainframes and eventually they had five and they had four then they had three developers they had two and then eventually they had one one guy that was retired and would consult to us whenever we needed him. We still had the mainframe, but it was it was running Linux at that point. It was running Linux VMs, like two thousands, and he he came in to do a couple of things every month. Uh, uh, you know, he was living the good life in retirement, and then and, we, and the plan was once he retired, we didn't need anybody. Like we were going to just get rid of it or something. So. Right. Um, I think that's true of every, I mean, I've not seen someone that's doing the same job they were doing 20 years ago, you know, or or even 10 years ago. So it's really rare. And I think that uh, advice for y'all just getting into this world, learning is a part of your lifestyle. Like uh, take a half a day a week and just read something, learn something, try something (laughs) new. Even if your job doesn't require it, just maybe ask nicely over time to get your boss to, you know, the nice thing is if a boss lets you have like four hours a week, for self-improvement learning stuff because it's going to help the company. If they don't see that. Um, and you definitely need that, in, I think, in every role of IT, um, even if you're just in operations and you're, you're sort of still in the, in the data center, uh, just clicking, clicking, uh, clicking the things, making sure they work and all that stuff. I still think that that role is changing and that you uh, definitely want to start learning. So, you know, hey, I got some courses. You know, same, same
1: as self-promotion. Yeah. You, might, you can learn something yeah. for $10. <laughs> Click the link <laughs> over there. And, you know, and I mean, just to underscore, I mean, that is such an important point. And I, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of that as well. Like, I would say, like, if you're in the tech industry, it's not just a part of your job. I would actually say it's probably this is your biggest asset mm. is the ability to learn, right? The growth hacking, the growth mentality, because the rate of change is accelerating. It's not even constant anymore, right? It's five years from now, the environment is gonna look dramatically different. And so, I mean, we may not be talking about Kubernetes. We may not be talking about containers. Um, And we're gonna be talking a lot more about AI and ML, I guarantee you. Um, We're gonna be talking a lot more about automation. Um, We're gonna be um, dealing a lot more with statistics and data. Um, So, you you have to have that growth mentality because it, it's going to change. And if you if yeah. if you specialize, like you have to be really really careful about that, um, and um, make sure like what you're you're picking, like make sure you understand like the pros and cons of that. And even if you do specialize, just make sure you still have that growth mentality. Yeah, um, be, you know, be learning. Like you can go deep in something, but just make sure that you're still you you're still learning and understanding like what's going on in the in the landscape because you it will pass you by. I mean, it's it's kind of like doggy paddle, right? I mean, you are, it's it's kind of a furious doggy paddle um, in the deep end of the pool. And if you stop paddling, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's over. Yeah.
0: Eventually, it's not gonna, you're not gonna be paddling anymore. The, yeah. uh, the, the, something we've talked about on this show several times before is uh, a great analogy I heard from a guy named Mark Manassi uh, who's a tech, tech trainer, tech educator, uh, news guy. Uh, 15 years ago, I think I heard this, was at one of his ran a little conference here in virginia beach and it was just a couple hundred people it's really fun and uh someone talked about that uh when you when you look at the if we have a, a pure generalist over here and we have a pure specialist on the other end and there's a wide spectrum in the middle right and on both ends of that spectrum you're at risk um it in other words um a generalist typically doesn't get paid well just because that's almost like tier one tech support kind of generalist they just know a little bit about a lot of things but can't really go deep um and a specialist, like you're saying, is as now, uh, you know, decades later, we now realize that that is actually risky when you when you're really specialized on just one thing. Mm-hmm. And so he talked about the middle being the optimum path for the future, which he called the virtualist, which was I, which was basically, uh, and it had a nice little graph to show off that you're a specialist in, in an ever increasing amount of areas. So you go deep in a topic for a while, and then mm-hmm. you hop to the next topic and you go deep in that. So you become not quite as deep as a specialist, but you're not near as weak as a generalist. And that that strength and the the pace of technology and everything, that was going to keep you both well-paid and employable. Um, yep. And I've found that, that that insight has helped my entire career, uh, you know, sort of stay on track when I feel like I'm either getting too general or too specific. <laughs> Gotta to get back in that
1: middle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's um, a term we've used is a um, T-shaped, Having a skill set that's T-shaped, right? So the 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 generalist part is the upper the upper part of the T, but yep. then go deep, um, and that's the the bottom part of the T. Go deep on something, but make sure you still have that that good general um, landscape and, and flexibility, and and change where that you're going deep um, yeah. over time as well.
0: Yeah, yeah um, I like that one. I like that one too. That's a good another good analogy. Um, well, we have some questions in the chat, and I don't want to. Um, I want everybody to know that we are going to get to your questions. Um, so there, uh, there's a couple of things we haven't mentioned. By the way, you have your own podcast uh, that uh, I found months ago called Mobycast, right?
1: Right. Yeah. So we, we, um, myself, and um, my colleague John Christensen, um, and uh, we, we were actually, uh, we were actually thinking about like, okay, how do we um, uh, kind of share some of this knowledge that we have about um, just Docker and containers. Um, it's one of those things we we had just gone through this process of I had introduced our team to this um, and I came to Kelsis in the beginning of 2017. So I've been here about two and a half years. And when I first came to Kelsis, we weren't using containers and Docker, right? So that was one of the first I was like, okay, this is what we gotta change, right? We're gonna, we're gonna Step we're on. gonna go to Yeah. So we're gonna do this, right? So and and I've done this now with a, with a few different teams, and that process of going from like not using containers to using containers, um, it's it's not an easy process for people, right? Because it does represent like it, it's a it's a culture shift, it's a mind shift, um, and so we were um, sitting down, um, at, you know, having lunch and kind of like talking about this, and um, we actually had um a guy that um rich um, that helps us out with marketing, um, and so. We we're just, you know, just talking and we ended up just talking um, like uh, like Rich was like, well, I'm kind of confused. Like, what's the difference between a virtual machine and a container? Right. And so we ended up having like this 30 minute talk where we kind of take a, a complicated idea and try to explain it to someone like Rich, um, who is you know, very smart, but he's not a developer. Right. He's not a he's not a technologist. He, he knows everything about marketing and, and, you know, WordPress sites and whatnot. So um, and from that, it was like, you know what? let's, let's do, let's do a podcast like this. We think that this would be interesting. So that was um, a little over a year ago. I think we're on, we just got done taping episode 70. We do it once a week, um, comes out on Wednesdays. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. And so we, we originally um, called it Mobycast because we really focused on Docker and Moby being the, the mascot of of Docker. Um, and we kind of quickly within the first 10 15 20 episodes it's like well there's only so much we can really say about docker now we kind of <laughs> kind of covered that right so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna branch out and we're gonna talk about just basically what does it mean to use to build modern apps and, and cloud native environment um, and everything that goes along with it and sometimes talk a little bit more about on we'll, we'll get into um, you know, just business landscape and just, like, what's going on in the community between companies, and um, sometimes you really go deep in, in technical topics, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's a learning process, too. I don't know about you, but, like, after, you know, the first the first 10 episodes are a little rocky. Um, yeah, right. and, and
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work, right? I mean, to it put on...
1: So, oh, it is yeah, so much work.
0: You think that people just sit down and turn on a, you know, a phone recorder and you can talk and then just put it on the internet, but it's a lot. It's a
1: lot. Uh, It is. It is. It's a lot. And I think that I found out the more that you do it, um, and of course, like the more audience you get, right, like your, the responsibility you feel towards it, right, grows. Right? And the the pressure for that grows. So I I definitely find myself now spending a lot more time on it, preparing, trying to really make this the best that I, you know, make it the best show that we can. um, Versus early on, it was a little bit more ad hoc.
0: And I think if anyone else is interested in stuff like this, uh, I don't I'm going to just guess you don't regret any of it. (laughs) Right.
1: Like (laughs) you had to start somewhere like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You do. And I mean, the thing is, is like just persistence and grit is like key here. Right. Like Mm. how many like there's a lot of I mean, anyone can go do a podcast. Right. Say I'm, I'm creating a podcast and go do it. Right. And it's one thing to do it, you know, three four episodes but then that's kind of like usually what happens right people fall off but yeah um if you're gonna do it commit to it and stick with it um and it's it is it's a lot of fun um it's it's cool to interact with other people to hear like to see like you know get reviews or ratings and just know that like you're not just talking into the ether um that um folks are listening to it we we've had people reach out to us like um people in the investment community that are analysts, right? That are recommending stocks for their, you know, their portfolios and coming to us and asking us for advice in the, in the, in the tech industry, like what's going to happen, you know, this company versus that. So that's, it's, it's really, that kind of stuff definitely reinforces it and makes it very rewarding. And it's, it's just fun to do too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, especially when you're doing it with friends. So yeah, yeah that's the, uh, that's the fun part. I, I I love having friends on the show and, you know, uh, interesting people and um that that's what that's my highlight is yeah, and getting all the feedback is always uh fun as well. Um let's get to some questions. Let's talk sure. about let's talk now. Of course, the rule on this show is that there are no rules. Um but of course, we 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 get to pick the questions, right? So if, you know, you don't ask questions that we like, then we're not going to we're not going to answer it. Um and uh biker 2010 uh, who's like, probably number one question asker on the show. Like, he would get the award for the most questions asked. Uh, Meta uh, DockerCon. Uh, he, he jumps in with the first question talking about Docker Compose. He says, I've been struggling with the subtle differences of Docker Compose and Docker Stack Deploy YAML, in particular, how labels are used. The very simple traffic getting started example works fine with Compose, but fails when the same file is used in a stack um, until the labels. Until you move the labels a little, could you make a few comments about the differences? Uh, I think, I think really what you're talking about there, biker, is the fact that in the compose format, uh, labels can be at the container level or at the service level. So this is kind of similar to Kubernetes, where all these different orchestrators have um, layers of abstraction. And so in Swarm, it goes there's the container, then then there's a task that runs that container, and then there's a service that runs that. Set of containers or that set of tasks, and then if you go to stacks, the stack YAML file uh, is a sort of a, an abstraction higher, and it's multiple services, many services and volumes and stuff like that. So one of the mistakes that people make with labels because it is, uh, is it's just it's, it looks like you could just put it in there on the, the service, but sometimes different applications like traffic will require them to be at a different level in that layers of abstraction. So I believe with traffic. You need to have it at the service level, um, not necessarily at the container level. So you have to put that uh, in your YAML. You have to move that because Docker Compose doesn't know what a swarm service is. So Docker Compose doesn't have that understanding. So, yeah, you do have to move those uh, those basically in the YAML from the service itself down, I believe, under the deploy section. So uh, hopefully that helps pretty Pretty uh, tough question right off the bat to see if yeah. one of us knew that. That's pretty uh, That's pretty deep. Yeah. That's pretty deep. Well, Biker and I have had lots of conversations. Uh, he's th- <laughs> he's, so we, we know each other. He knows what I know, and, uh, and I know what he's working on. Um, he's, test- he's testing you. Yes, right. That's right. Challenge accepted, sir. Uh, Char- Charlie asks, uh, could you tell us what camera you use? Uh, I actually was – I needed to look this up. Um, the camera I'm using is a Canon mirrorless uh, M50. And uh, there's a website, and uh, I think it's called kits.com. Let me find it. No, kit, singular. Yeah, so yeah, um, I'll put this in chat. It's kit.com slash Brett Fisher. Uh, it's actually a list of all my hardware and most of my software that I use in different setups. It's a website designed to help uh, creators share their kits, essentially, of, of tools. So go check that out. Um, it's kits, kit, sing, uh, singular, kit.com slash Brett Um Let's see. Oh, and you know what? Uh, it, my team put it in the chat already, so <laughs> I didn't even need to say it. Uh, so yeah, Biker's back. Uh, let me see. I sold my company, moving everything to Docker. We're moving from our own 300 server farm in, to Azure. And his butt's on the line if the web servers aren't harder, f- faster, better, stronger. <laughs> so, yeah, perfect. Exactly. I mean, part of our job in technology is not just to run these things, but also to make decisions. And sometimes we end up t- having to take all this risk on our shoulders. The best part about a job, that, uh, all the best jobs I've had are where the my boss was always going to defend me. Like, even if I made bad decisions, he was going to go to bat for me Um you know, to management, and that's always great when you you know you you know that you're given a little bit of allowance to take risks, and you can try things and not worry that you're going to suddenly be fired because something didn't go the way you appreciate it. Of course, you know you might you might have a stern talking to.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, was saying, I mean, if you don't if you don't have a supportive um, manager like that, then probably should spend a little bit more time on LinkedIn.
0: Yep. yeah. I think uh, ha- after having done this over. Now over 25 years, I would say pick the boss, not the job. Um, yep. You can do lots of. If you have a really great boss, you can make f- work fun and enjoyable. But when you have a bad boss, everything else starts to suck. But suddenly you want yep. more money. Suddenly you want you work. You feel like you're working too long. Like suddenly all the other things become a problem because your life just isn't fun at work. So yeah, pick the boss. Yeah. Uh, let's see. John's up. Uh, do you have any advice for moving? 50 plus microservices, microservice set of applications that are not micro at all uh, over to Docker and containerization in any way that isn't a big bang approach and orchestrating the resulting mixture of containerized and uh, non-containerized elements during the transition. So what do you think? Do you have, uh, Chris, do you have any, you've probably gone through some of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this this is lather, rinse, repeat, right? You have to, you definitely have to do it incrementally. Um, and so it's kind of, I mean, um, kind of hard to understand, like what, what you're actually starting with there. Um, you know, if there are truly 50 independent services, um, then containerizing them and moving them, you know, into that environment should be rather straightforward if they're more intertwined, um, and not truly independent, then it gets a little bit, a little bit trickier. But, um, with any of these kind of migrations, it's always it's divide and conquer, right? Like it's not going to be a don't do a big bang. And there's way too much risk with that. There's 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 no rollback. There's um, it's just a lot of a lot of work, and then you flip a switch and you are just really just praying that it all goes well. So divide and conquer. Do it bits at a time. Figure out what's the what's and pick the the, the easiest stuff first, right? Especially if, if this is new to you. Um, so if you've not been running containers in production before and this is the first thing like don't pick your The most critical piece of the system, right? Pick something that is more on the on on, on the edges that yeah. You know if it, if it did go bad, right? Like it's not gonna be the end of the world
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. I think so. sometimes that one of the things I also uh, recommend I mean, I, I think both of us are gonna say definitely don't do it whole hog like uh, you, you know even it, that would mean that you would have to do months and months of testing and it just you're basically you're that would be like a waterfall approach to infrastructure <laughs> you want to think of it more on a agile devops approach of i'm going to change the smallest part possible and then i'm going to just rinse and repeat so um uh, you know think of think of and don't move your databases first move your databases last or better yet just have someone else run them um yeah things that are stat, uh, that don't require persistent data would definitely be my recommendation to go early is you find the things that if the container goes away uh, you just make a new container like a web app an api something like that that doesn't have persistent data store requirements because that just adds more complexity to you getting it up and and one of the things about containers when you're doing migrations for the first time with a company this is kind of like you know i'm sure chris was around when we went from physical infrastructure to vms uh, you know, it was a very similar experience of it, it affected everything at every layer, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And at, even the developers had to be involved because you had to figure out how to get their app off that physical machine into a VM and then, you know, and be able to move it around. And so you had to understand it more. So th- that, all that being said, basically, uh, you're going to e- try to do the easiest, smallest apps first. But if you can, also do the apps that are going to be updated more often. Because one of the things I think that really helps an organization get sold on the idea of containers is to get a, uh, one of these early wins to where it affects a business goal, not just a technical goal. So maybe there's a business goal where you want to be able to deploy software faster or something like that, that you can align this work to. So even if you're not a business-focused person, you're just really into the tech, figure out that way so that you can get, basically, you want to get those C-level people to, to cheer for you. And the way you can get that done with things like Docker is to find something where it's a painful process now to update that or change that. Or maybe when it goes down, it's difficult to troubleshoot because it's a complicated old system or whatever, or it's expensive and you're going to save money by moving it into a new small VM running containers or whatever. Uh, So find that business goal to align with, then throw that out there and then start updating that app. Like, uh, you know, make the changes more often with that app, work with the dev team if that's not you. Uh, update that app more often and that way people will start to get it they'll they'll see that oh man this thing is easier to update we're not you know if there's a problem we can just replace it you know they start to get that idea of what you know not just what a physical container does does but the whole workflow of how containers change things and then from then on it's just like chris is saying rinse and repeat um you know keep doing it over and over again go progressively harder to the bigger more complicated parts of the app but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you're definitely not going to be able to do it all at once. And at the end of the day, there's nothing really different fundamentally about a distributed app in a container than it than pre-container. Generally, it should be easier to do in containers. But you're still going to have to deal with DNS routing of the packets from the old place to the new place and all that stuff. And sometimes containers can help with that. Sometimes they can't. Um, so, yeah
1: yeah yeah so great great points there and maybe the only other thing i would add too is just like make sure you're practicing um on those initial first things and you're you're putting in the you're building the operational capabilities to support the movement of of the stuff that's to come right so yeah there are there are some new things like just even just like your CI/CD pipeline like how are you you know you have to public you have to create you're creating artifacts in the form of images you know where are they being stored how are you pulling those um uh you know how is it being done in an automated fashion um, in your pipeline how are you um handling observability and monitoring of these things and things like logging and and understanding just um kind of like the the simple stuff like storage space um like this is i don't know but i you know, you and storage space has has always been one of those things that keeps kind of popping up. Um, we don't our containers are for the most part um, they're stateless because um, we're we're using obviously, databases, um, you know, separate services hosted that um, for for true persistence. But there's always there's always temporary stuff. Like in log files, are, are one of those things. Yeah. Um, and so just really understanding like that it's there are some nuances and differences with running containers in production. So use that, that initial time to really get it, get it done well. Right. So that way you're reducing the risk as you, as you bring on those, those um, more complicated pieces later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. And I think the last thing I would suggest is realize that you could plan, learn, test for months, but you'll probably learn more in the first week of real production containers than you did in all those months of planning. Like, uh, the minute you have to troubleshoot or even investigate, you'll real. You know, the way that you get into the containers is different. The way that yeah. you put your tools on a server to test on top of on top of a container network is different. Um, you don't necessarily have to go full-blown Kubernetes on day one just for your first container. <laughs> you can you can start small, start simple, try some things out, um, and then grow as you go. If you're on like on AWS, ECS might be easy enough to just do that day one, and you don't have to. You know, custom deploy every layer of the stack brand new, and that's one of the things with. Whenever I do talks on getting into Docker, I, I have a usually a slide dedicated about projects, and the, the rule is the same rule as any IT project: make the projects as small as possible. You don't want to do. Docker's new, Kubernetes is new. I'm going to do Prometheus monitoring now. I'm going to do ELK log, you know, m- logging. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want that level of change. Yeah. You want to change. See you in six seven,
1: months. <laughs> right,
0: right, and you won't even. You'll barely have one container out in six months. Yeah. Like you, you want to go small and easy. And um, so yeah, set your set your goals small, and if you can align them with business goals. So yeah, that's great. Great. We could have a whole show on this. Um, yeah, because it's hard stuff and it's scary if you're the the big advocate, and you're trying to convince the rest of your team or your organization to do something like this. It's it can be a little daunting and scary at times. So yeah, good luck. Good luck. Come back when you've got your first success and show up in the show, and we'd love to hear your comments. Um, all right. So uh, I had a good question on if you should use JSON or YAML in compose files. I think that pretty much all of the container world has settled on YAML as the human format. JSON is the computer format. So we're writing YAML, and then what the systems do on the backend in terms of they might they might translate it into JSON because it, they they are uh, compatible in their in their um, translations. So, um, like when you look at Swarm uh, in the backend, it's technically taking your YAML and turning it into JSON and storing that in the Swarm database. Um, but that doesn't mean you should write JSON. To be fair, I understand why you might have that question because for a while back in like 2017. 2016, 2017, uh, Docker was suggesting a, a DEB, I think it was DEB, uh, format. And then it was JSON for uh, orchestration. And then <laughs> the, the, the community spoke. <laughs> <and> <laughs> we basically said no. Uh, we yeah. do not want to do comp- YAML and JSON. Let's stick with a format. You know, The YAML's not perfect, but we've got it. Let's at least just stick with the one thing. Um, so yeah, do that because then that'll work. Uh, wherever you want to do it. If you want to eventually move to Kubernetes, it's YAML as well. So you'll you'll learn about spaces versus tabs and like you know the, the things of YAML that you will have to deal with versus uh, D- JSON. So yeah, yeah. I see. My favorite feature of YAML is that I can do comments <laughs> and it doesn't break things. <laughs> so yeah,
1: try try that in JSON.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so let's see. We got uh, well a few more questions here, real quick before we run. Uh, let's see. Biker is giving some advice on picking two apps to move. That's a good one. Um, yeah, static sites, anything uh, that you, if you lost a container, if you accidentally uh, typed in a Docker RM, or if you're doing an orchestrator and it decides to re- remove and replace the container that you won't, you know, it won't, won't hurt you. Um, let's see, John, thanks for the great advice. We're moving over containers in our, and are new to it myself and a lot of other taking your courses. Hey! Great. Thanks for taking the courses. Thanks for uh, for being a student. And let's see. Let's pick the lax. What uh, Alexandria is coming in late. Uh, a frequent m- viewer of the show. Have guide to write Docker buildx bake file. Um, so no Docker. Uh, I have nothing on buildx yet. This. Uh, so what uh, he's asking about is Docker buildx is a new feature coming in the yet to be released 1903 release of Docker. And it's sort of the next evolution of a container builder. And it's super, it's got crazy new features. Like the feature we could have a, a month full of podcasts about build um, mm-hmm. and all the cool things that it's going to do. And, uh, it's going to work. It's going to happen eventually. Um, little teaser is we haven't announced it yet, but on this show, when Docker goes 1903, when they announced that here pretty soon, we hope, um, we're going to do a week's worth of live shows and we're going to have special guests on uh, on every one of those showing you new features, their favorite new features of 1903 release because I think um, it's the biggest release of Docker since I have started talking about Docker. Uh, they have packed so many new features into the CLI. Um, not so necessarily, not so much into the engine. Uh, a lot of it's in the CLI but they had to backfill, they had to add this stuff to the engine like the new builder. You can now have build environments you can have build farms where you can you can build run a single build command locally and it builds across a series of servers so docker itself is changing the ci cd game just by adding these features to the docker cli so i'm really interested to see how people uh and how the ci cd companies change their approach and how much more they implement docker into their toolkit because um basically i feel like at the end of the day a lot of this is just turning into something that runs a bunch of docker builds and docker commands is that that's what a ci cd system is turning into at this point um so thank those are all great questions thank you so much uh for asking those and stay tuned because we will have definitely i already know who's going to be talking about build x and hopefully in the next couple of weeks so we'll see we'll see what docker does and uh you'll see some announcements with us so uh on this little link at the top, you can sign up for the newsletter and that's when I announce uh, new stuff coming out. And we'll definitely be talking about that big show. We're going to have like a release party, which I've never really done before, but you know, <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot. So, uh, well, Chris, nice. thank you so much. Uh, this has been a great yeah. talk. I'm glad we met at Docker con uh, and had some great conversations there. Yeah, um, me too. yeah. For those of you who are just joining or missed, um, check out Chris's podcast himself. It's on Mobycast. You can find that where all podcasts are played, right?
1: Yes, Moby- absolutely.
0: Mobycast.fm, I believe, is the website. Uh,
1: mo- yeah, m- FM, dot yeah. FM. yeah, yeah.
0: And you can also find Chris on his Twitter handle here if you want to reach out to him down below uh, his talking head there. Uh, Chris, uh, what's uh, where else can people find you on the Internet? Are, uh, people can reach out to you. Is Twitter the right way? How can they reach yeah. out and have questions?
1: Twitter works for sure. Um, I'm actually a LinkedIn guy too, so um, find me on LinkedIn um, and uh, GitHub. Um, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: great. Well, good luck with all of the AWS work, um, and I look forward to hearing uh, some updates on that as you uh, as you keep advancing the Docker the the Docker tooling and automating all the things. And maybe we'll just have a whole show dedicated to automation. Someday. Yes. So some real some good examples because i think that's challenging for people to figure out all the steps and the things that they want to automate and how to do it so
1: indeed
0: um yeah so thanks a lot everyone thanks. uh we will see you next week back here on thursday uh same time same place on the internet and um thanks for watching Great. thanks Brett. so thanks for listening and i'll see you in the next episode